All right, hello again, lovelies. I am Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, as always, and welcome to Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps. This is where I do my weekly podcast recapping the latest TV and film that I've caught during the week. This usually includes The Magicians, sometimes some Black Lightning, Legends of Tomorrow, The Tick is happening this week. Uh, and then some Asian dramas because I've been watching those heavily. So just in case you don't know who I am, I am Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. You can find me on Instagram, on the Twitters, and then especially my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. Uh, on that website, what I do is create fandom fashions. That is, I style everyday clothes inspired by all things in geekdom. So if it's a character that I love or a character I've come across or even some characters that I get requests for, you'll see that stuff pop up. I'm also on fanbros.com and I'm doing sets for them as well. So if you guys check that out and get a chance to, let me know what you think of my, all of my stuffs and whatnot. With that being said, I'm going to dive in deep into these shows, like I said, and no, yeah, all series this week. Sometimes it's movies, if I catch one, but this week's gonna be all TV shows. And basically I'm gonna get heavy into spoilers. So if you haven't seen any of these shows I'm talking about, if you hate spoilers and you're looking forward to discovering all of this on your own, please, please, please watch the shows first, then come back. I'll give you my two cents. We dive deep into the spoilers and then we can have a conversation about it. You can let me know what you thought after hearing what I think and so forth and so whatever, you know, all of that. So all that being said, the shows I'm going to be recapping again are The Magicians, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, because everything else is on hiatus right now. So that's it for like cable network and and TCTV. And then I'm also going to run into The Tick, which is on Amazon Prime. If you haven't finished all of season one, please check out all of those episodes as well if you're interested. And then the Asian dramas I'm going to jump into is a Japanese drama called You're My Pet and a Korean drama. Oh, I'm going to mispronounce it. That I think is called Wayugi, possibly also known as a Korean Odyssey, and it's a story based on the journey to the West. So if you happen to catch those, if you're waiting to catch any of those and you haven't seen them yet again, big time spoilers are coming your way just to give you that heads up. But we're gonna be diving in deep pretty soon. All right, so I think I give everybody enough of a heads up to say that there are spoilers coming, but I'm gonna say it again anyway, spoilers are coming. So we're going to dive deep into these TV shows and I'm going to start off with Legends of Tomorrow because, oh, Legends, Legends. So Legends has just come back. This is its second episode after its very long break from uh, earlier part of winter. I want to say even like a little before New Year's. So we're into the second episode. Quickest of the quick recap, the Legends uh, pull a Groundhog Day episode, basically. So we have Zari, who we're getting a solo focus on, which is interesting, which is kind of nice. She's definitely a character that we, or at least me, I didn't really get a lot of information about. We got a little bit of her backstory. We know why she's with the Legends, kind of. But that's pretty much it. She just brings like a lot of snark and a lot of win via her totem. So it was nice to have an episode that kind of explored her a little bit more. But so quickest of the quickest of the recaps. Basically, she's repeating 
instead of the same day, it's the same hour. So she's kind of recycling this hour over and over and over again. Uh, and it comes across as she's got to stop the ship from exploding. That's what we all think is happening. Turns out that's not what's happening at all. Turns out it's a giant exercise by Gideon for her to realize A, her importance with the team, but B, how important the team is to her as well. So it was interesting to see her dynamic with everybody, like a one-on-one -on -one basis with everyone, which was, which was awesome actually. It was pretty cool to see everybody's reactions to her. I still love Ray. Ray is still the favorite for me. Followed closely by Sarah. Ray is just this polite boy scout of goodness and he's adorable and he kept falling everywhere. Um, but basically, so she is learning each time this hour resets what's going on with everybody. And she's trying to figure out if some one of the legends is trying to sabotage the ship or if it's something else entirely. And then we find out that it's something else entirely. The ship's not even in danger. This was all uh, kind of set up by Gideon. Turns out after her very first fight with Sarah, Zari went to go make some kind of fix or solve some kind of issue with the ship. She got sprayed with ship goo, which knocked her unconscious because it's a highly volatile substance of some sort because comics logic, that's because comics logic. So it basically knocked her out and Gideon took that opportunity to tap her, tap into her matrix that she created as like a running scenario for to find loopholes because it's Legends of Tomorrow. They travel in time. She's still trying to figure out a way to save her own time period because it's just, oh, it's just terribleness apparently. It's just like a future dystopian type of place and she's trying to get it avoided. So all of that, all of that turned out to be an exercise from Gideon for her to learn the values of sticking with a team and, and making everything work right. I'm not gonna lie, there was some stuff I really didn't like about the episode. Well, I should, that's a strong feeling. I would say there's some stuff that I just thought we didn't need. The whole, oh, you know what? I always wanna call him Nick, but I don't think that's his name. What is his name? But basically Amaya and what's his, Nate. I wanna call him Nick because he was on another show with a, oh, what is her name? I can't remember anybody's names. He was on another show. It was like a campy little 30 minute show and his name was Nick on that show. But anyway, so his name is Nate on this show. Nate and Amaya's little love issue thing that they keep going back and forth on, I could care less about, honestly. They get together, they don't get together. I'm not invested in these characters, which is terrible. But I also feel that that comes with the territory for Legends of Tomorrow. Like. There's so many characters. I think they even outnumber the number of characters on Arrow's team, which is already a lot. There's just so much and so little time to dedicate to everybody. They, for me, they kind of slip into this weight side. Amaya's got this whole Kuvasa thing going. Nate's whole sole purpose is basically Amaya. So I don't, I don't care if they get together or if they don't. I don't, I don't care at this point. And we also got a little bit of Sarah and Agent Sharp. And I am invested in that one, but I think that's because they're giving us the time to build up into that romance versus with like Amaya and Nate. I don't want to say it was sprung on us, but it definitely wasn't a slow build. It was like, hey, Nate's kind of feeling Amaya. Hey, they're together. Hey, they broke up because of reasons and stuff. And yeah, and that's pretty much it. And that's pretty much it. So I like that with the Sarah 
and Agent Trap thing. They're taking their time and they're playing like this little flirty game right now. And but also at the same time, like really sharing real feelings with each other, like with Sarah going in about how, you know, she doesn't know what to do with Zari because this is a team member that she respects and she really wishes Zari knew, you know, how important she was to the team. But she's not sure how to relay that given everything else that's gone on. And of course, Zari hears this, overhears this in all of her repeat hour situations. But it was it was a nice, it was a nice little reprieve we got with the. And besides all of that, the most exciting thing I thought with about Legends Tomorrow was the little snippet we got at the very, very end. So Wally West from the Flash. Uh he's not Flash 2.0, but you know, he's up there. Um He's Kid Flash, I think they call him. Yeah, Kid Flash. Also, why? But yeah, so he shows up at the very, very end. He's in the middle of doing his meditation somewhere beautiful. And Rip shows up. Rip, we found out earlier in the episode, escaped whatever containment facility he was in. And he's now trying to recruit Wally, probably to help against Mollusk and do whatever speedster thing he needs him to do. I'm all for it. I think Wally West is criminally underrated when it comes to the Flash. He is not utilized at all when it comes to Flash. And granted, it's called The Flash. We're supposed to be focusing on Barry and his trials and tribulations of being The Flash. But it, it, it'd be nice if we got a little bit more Kid Flash or if we were able to put Kid Flash in something else and got that more focused on. So I'm all for, fingers crossed, Kid Flash making it over to Legends of Tomorrow. Granted, it is a convoluted mess but I would stick around just to see what else they're gonna do with him. Plus he's a character that for a lot of us who've been watching DC TV already know a lot of history behind. So I think that'd be a win-win in either situation. But pretty much, yeah, that's all my feelings about Legends. Not a huge, huge lot happened. Oh, Ray finally told Sarah uh, what Constantine kind of hinted at him before he left. So now everything's open and on the table and Sarah, leader that she is was like, yeah, Constantine's right. You need to get ready uh, for the inevitable moment that I get possessed by Mollusk and we're going to handle it when it happens. So, but that's pretty much it. That's all this episode really was, was just like a focus on Zari, how she feels about the team, uh, how she really feels about everyone. Oh, and we got that gem. We got that gem of Mick writing a sci-fi fanfic. It was beautiful. I'm not going to lie. I loved it. That part was amazing. But other than that, yeah, that was pretty much it for Legends of Tomorrow. And with that being said, we'll be moving on to the magicians right after this. Okay, so now we'll be jumping into the magicians. So with the magicians this week, eh, I just, I remember like probably just last week, if not the week before, I was going on and on about how they make each episode feel so new every time you watch it. Not so much the case for me this episode. So lesson learned, but it still wasn't bad. So magicians happened this week and it kind of picked up right where it left off. Key quest is still going on. Alice and Julia are still going through their magic stuff. Quentin and Penny are tag teaming it right now and trying to meet up with Elliot and Margot so they can uh, better situate a plan between the fairies trying to take over Fillory and them also trying to bring magic back to the world. 
So it's a whole, like, everybody get together and figure out what's going on. Uh, Penny and Katie also reunite for this episode. So let's just go ahead and jump into it. So it, the Alice and Julia storyline, I feel, is is becoming redundant. They're, I get the pairing because they're both characters who would do anything for magic. Literally. Literally. Julia went full hedge witch when she found out she couldn't get into break bills. And now that Alice has had a taste of what it is to be a, oh gosh, what is it? A nymph? A, oh, a something. A, a specter of a magic ghost of some sort. She got to feel like that pure magic power, but you know, didn't have like a body or anything for it to go along with. But uh, ever since she's been brought back to life and put back into a body, she is not sure how she fits into this new world, especially now that there's one without magic. She's not sure what to do. So you've got these two characters who both went through like these serious issues with magic. And of course, we're going to put the issue of magic in between them. So there you go. So the whole Julia and Alice thing, Julia finally figured out how to get rid of her magic. She transferred it to Alice doing this crazy, crazy spell. And it seemed to have worked until Alice just, you know, passed out and started foaming at the mouth. And then we discover, oh yeah, Julia can't just pass along her magic to just anybody. She's got to retain it because it was made for her or it was at least granted to her. So anybody else that tries to hold it, it's going to literally kill them. So Julia discovers this and she realizes that she's going to have to suck it up and take this power back, even though it's associated with this terrible terrible thing that happened to her. Uh, Alice, meanwhile, is losing it because she does not want to lose this magic. So she is trying to figure out how she will be able to retain these abilities that she's gotten, uh, even if it means sacrificing her life. So she basically puts out this plan to get bitten by a vampire and get turned. She pays money to like this random vampire off the street to turn her so that, you know, she won't be living, but she'll be able to hopefully still retain the magic. Thankfully, Julia intercepts, barely, but manages to intercept. Uh, she struck a deal with the woman that bought break bills. I really don't care about this lady's name, so I'm not gonna even look it up, but she basically borrowed like some magic from her. I will say that this lady's negotiating deals are pretty awesome, because she basically was like, you're gonna owe me a favor, TBD. <laughs> like, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but it's going to be something. And just kind of left it open in the air. And Julia had no recourse but to accept this so that she could save Alice. So she takes this little bit of magic. She goes and finds Alice. She stops her from being bitten by the vampire. They have like a little showdown and it kind of culminates in Alice going a little too hard and knocking Julia the F out. Then, you know, flash forward a little bit, and I guess Alice has just randomly seen the error of her ways. Either she killed Julia, and then she had to slowly bring her back, or she just hurt her more than just knocking her out. It's the only thing I can think of, because all of a sudden she's like, it tra it's transferred back. You were right. You know, I just don't know where I stand and everything, yada, yada, yada. It was the weakest storyline of the rest of the show, but I'm hoping this is going to culminate towards something a little bit stronger later down the road. So after Alice and Julia, the next uh, storyline I didn't really care about was Penny and Katie. <laughs> Penny and Katie, or I don't, I don't, I don't 
understand why we keep going back and forth with them as a couple. I don't know if they think we're invested in them as a couple or if this is just part of their story. I didn't read the books. Maybe it is. But so Penny and Katie, again, are on the outs. Katie doesn't want to talk to Penny. Uh, there was a whole thing where I guess she thought she was doing so much because she was never going to see him again. Surprise, she sees him again and she gets pissed. So she gets majorly pissed that this happened. And she's not speaking to him for a little bit. But Quentin and Poppy need Katie for another plan of theirs to try and get magic back in the world. And they're in with Katie is Penny. And so Penny's got to get back into the fray and try to get Katie uh, convinced to help them out as well. And they have like a little bit of like an all out fight where I guess we were supposed to be surprised that they hadn't told each other that they loved each other yet. I would think they would have got that message after the many times both of them nearly died and they both chose to save each other, but whatever, sure. So we get more confessions about how they love each other. And that's pretty much it. Penny goes off to do his thing to help with his portion of the plan work. And Katie does her thing to help with that portion, which leads us to the Quentin and Poppy storyline. So Quentin and Poppy realize they got to get this key uh, that this dragon ate when she ate that poor, poor man who was going through it with his darker self. So according to the storyline for the show, dragons are gatekeepers, AKA portals. So it just goes into something like the underworld potentially. So they need to figure out a way to get there, get the key and bring it back. To do so, they need Penny so that Penny can, I don't either just get into the underworld or become the key, something of that nature. And then they need somebody on the inside in the library to get it back out of the library into Quentin and Poppy. So to do that, they gotta get backup and backup is in the form of this like extremist magic for all group that they, they've met up with a couple times. <sighs> it always blows up in their face too when they meet up with these people consistently, consistently blows up in their face, but whatever, they just go back for more, but they need, they need it in order to, you know, help further this plan of bringing magic back to the world. So they've got everything set up. They realize how dangerous it is. Quentin is in the midst of his next breakdown as he's just thinking about how all of this is basically his fault. And he needs to make sure this plan goes through, but this the chances of the plan actually working, oh, slim to none. And Poppy decides that this is ample time for her to help him out. And by help it out, I mean getting down dirty. Like they decide just to have sex and go for it because it's the, it's the last night before everything kicks off. Why not? Why not settle some nerves? Quentin gets a lot of action in this series, a lot of action between him and Elliot, Elliot, him and Margo, him and Alice. I would not be surprised if we get in him and Julia situation at some point, or even a him and Penny. Like he just, he's, he's making the rounds is all I'm saying. He's, he's getting a lot of love literally and figuratively. So, but their storyline was one of the ones I kept, was the most interested in actually checking out and seeing where it led to, which leads us to Elliot and Margo's part of that plan. So uh, they figured out a way to extort the fairies. Uh, they kidnapped a bunch of babies. We think are babies. It's like these little egg sacks that are underneath mushrooms. And uh, they basically tried to use that as leverage. Their plan was to uh, put the queen in a position that she'd have to reveal herself to the entirety of Fillory. 
which was starting to work. But then they got backstabbed by Elliot's daughter, except it turned out it wasn't Elliot's daughter. Turns out she's just some random human child they picked up and started raising. And then we get the real story about what happened between Elliot and his wife and their child. Turns out poor wifey lost her baby during childbirth. She either had a stillbirth or the child died shortly after the birth, but it didn't make it, didn't make it. So the fairies basically lied so that they can get themselves in this position of power and control over Fillory. And the girl that backstabbed him lets them know that like last minute, like I'm not your daughter and they get the full story. But Margoston wants to go ahead with the plan. So she's like, we still need you to do this so that the people, everybody can see you. They're in the carriage, I guess, about to go drop this news and put this bath out or whatever to get everybody to see it. And the fairy queen is like oddly calm. Like she's always pretty calm. She's never like in a you know, high rage or anything. But she's just going on about how like, yeah, you know, they'll be able to see us, but they'll be able to see you too. You know, if you had stuck with my plan, I would have been able to protect you better, but you decided not to. And they're like, what are you talking about? She disappears and all of a sudden their carriage is surrounded by a mob, a mob of villagers that basically ripped them from the carriage. And that's how we ended. They're slowly being separated from this carriage by this mob of people. I don't blame this mob. If you have been paying attention to all the outliers about what's going on in Fillory for like the everyday folk, their crops are missing. Uh, whole things of trees are gone. They're hungry. They're being pillaged by the neighboring uh, kingdom that they got, that Margo married into. Lord knows how many lives got lost. There were a bunch of people on stakes. So, you know, they've kind of been going through it. It's very, it's very much just like... Viva la revolution. So, but that's how they end up. We, we see them being pulled apart. They're the main characters. I don't know how much Dire Straits they can actually be in. Maybe one will die if they even get to that, but I don't see that happening either. So I'm not too worried. I'm interested to see how they get out of it. But knowing Margo, well, it's going to be Elliot because if it was up to Margo, she'd just kill everybody. But if it's Elliot, he's going to figure out a way to like strike a deal, do some smooth talking and get everything in order. And I think that's basically all of the storylines happening for the magicians. They're still on the hunt for this key. Julia's still struggling with her magical identity. Alice still wants magic. Quentin and Poppy are knocking boots right now for some reason, but also still trying to save magic as well. Penny's about to be a book. I don't care what Katie's doing. I think that's pretty much everybody. So yeah, so that's it from the magicians. And after this, we'll be talking about what I thought about the rest of season one of The Tick right after this. Okay, so The Tick, the rest of season one, was released on Amazon uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday, one of those two, uh, of just last week, and The Tick is interesting. So The Tick, in case you didn't know, is about this big blue guy who calls himself The Tick. He's got little antennas that kind of move independently on their own. He's in a big blue suit, and uh, he loves Arthur. And that's all you really need to know. Uh, if you are a 90s kid, you remember the TV show on Fox. So there was a cartoon series on Fox Kids that came out and it was just heavy ridiculousness. It was just super silly and just, it basically just made fun of superheroes in general. 
that was the whole emphasis behind the tick. While at the same time, still being a superhero show, it was very interesting, very satirical, hilarious. I didn't heavily watch the tick growing up. It wasn't one of the shows like I had to watch. I would catch an episode here or there. I got the gist of it. So when they said they were doing a live action version of it, I was like, ooh, this will be interesting. Because A, they're definitely jumping on the to the superhero bandwagon right now. Superheroes, regardless of how well you put it out there, are still golden. Like people are still tuning in to check it out, which is fantastic. Um, and I like the idea that if you watch, well, I watched all like the little trailers and interviews they did, and they kept harping on the fact that they were doing a satirical show about superheroes right now in like a golden age of superhero TV and film. So I thought that was a cool aspect as well. So I started watching the first season. They released six episodes first. And it wasn't bad. There's a bunch of laugh out loud moments in this. You get it from the perspective of Arthur. I like that it's rooted in a real world, but not necessarily our world. So it's still a world where huge villains exist and people with abilities exist and, and all kinds of craziness. But there's also like this I don't want to say snarky undertone, but definitely a sarcastic undertone to it as well. It's appreciated. I like it. I like what they're doing with it. So I watched the rest of the episodes that they released. I think there's 11 in total, maybe maybe 12. Not a huge, huge amount. And, and I liked it. It wasn't that bad. I do wish that they would have released them all at the same time. There was quite a gap between the first one, which I want to say came out in like November, December-ish. And then this one, which came out in February. So uh, there were a lot of instances and jokes that they were making that I had to like stop and like really try to remember, if not go back and try to rewatch an episode they're referring to just to get what they're talking about sometimes. It didn't feel rushed, but it also didn't really feel finished. It felt, maybe, that, maybe that's the point though, is that this is gonna be an ongoing series. Amazon, for me, when it comes to original programming that they put out there, is very hit or miss. It's either pretty decent, maybe not the greatest, but decent, or I'm just, why? Why bother? Don't even look at it anymore. I never got into um, their, what is that show? See, I don't even remember what it's called, but it was a very important show. It's about a, an older transgender person who um, had made their transition what was it? Transparency, I think it's called? Transparency. And it was winning all these accolades and awards. And, and then some scandal kind of hit it. And it got a little bit quiet. But after that, they did Marvelous Miss Mabel. Yes, Marvelous Miss Mabel. Another show that wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. You know, the push behind it was that it's created by the either the person who helped, who did Gilmore, the creator of Gilmore Girls or somebody who worked on that project. I want to say it was the creator because it's definitely like her tone with the snappy talking. Uh, but also like it was with Gilmore Girls, at least for me, still a gem of a show. And still kind of like a glossy overlay of how things were at the time. It's supposed to be in the middle of the 60s. There's a whole bit in, in The Marvelous Miss Mabel where she's talking to these black entertainers. And I guess we're just ignoring that this is a time of segregation. So there we go. But whatever. So that's neither here nor there. The story for Miss Mabel is actually pretty decent outside of those like glaring things happening during that time period. Everything else seems to be working along pretty well. And now the tick. So 
other than that, it's not, I feel like Netflix has had a better record when it comes to original programming or like if it's good, it's good. And if it's not, oof, you know about it. But with Amazon, it's been like very, like it's either middle of the road or it's terrible in my opinion. So Tick is definitely middle of the road. It's, it's definitely got a very good concept behind it. I would have liked to see more. I would, have, I would have liked a more condensed series and not have this break in between. I don't know if that was production issues or what, but here's hoping. I'm pretty sure they got greenlit for a season two. Hopefully that comes out sooner rather than later because I'm impatient. And also I, I, liked, I liked the little vestiges that they gave us to check out and whatnot. Uh, if you have more experience with the tick, please let me know if they got anything correct or wrong. I watched it with my husband who really loved the tick growing up. And there were definitely some parts where he's like, well, why aren't we having any of these original characters in here? Or like, what's going on? So I don't, I don't know. I don't remember all of that at all. So I'm interested to see if someone who's really into the tick watched the show and what they thought. So definitely hit me up in those comments. I'm all over the place. Easy to find. And let's have this conversation. And after this, we're going to switch over to the K-drama side or, and slash the Asian drama side of things right after this. All right, so we're switching it over to a K-drama. So that is, oh gosh, and correct me on this pronunciation. I believe it's Wayugi, I think, AKA a Korean odyssey. Basically, this is a K-drama show or Korean drama. Uh, that is an interpretation of a journey to the West. So if you've heard any stories about the Monkey King, any anything in regards to Chinese mythology, this is a show based around that. It's created by the Hong sisters, and they're some of my favorite creators for K-dramas in general. I, I just feel like they sneak a lot of things into their dramas that on the surface look like it's just part of regular K-drama antics, but I feel like there's a heavier emphasis underneath. I really like this show. So if you heard to my earlier podcasts, you know that I kind of hit a dry spell when it came to Asian dramas for a little bit. I got really, really into them. I want to say back in like 2013, 2012, 2013-ish. Because uh, of Netflix, Netflix and your freaking recommendations. Uh, and it kind of opened the floodgates. My first Korean drama was, oh, of course, now I can't remember what it was. Oh, Boys Over Flowers. Psh, duh. So Boys Over Flowers was my very, very first K-drama. It was on Netflix. And I think it kind of just hits all the notes that you need. I found out later that it's actually based on a Japanese manga of the you know, same title. So, and it, it basically sets up what you're gonna expect from a K-drama. You're gonna expect, you know, expect some fantasticness, whether this is in literal creatures with superpowers, or just like slow-mo takes of people staring at each other. It's gonna happen. You're gonna have a lot of uh, angst, a lot of one-sided loves. You're gonna have a lot of crying. That just happens in these shows. You're gonna get camp. You're gonna get like these little montages that come out of nowhere. <laughs> like it's, but it's fantastic, it's fantastic. And it's amazing and just nicely put together. Oh gosh, I'm shaking a lot of things. I hope nothing's breaking, okay. So that being said, uh, Yugi, a Korean odyssey, has two of my favorite actors ever, 
in a show and they both were in honky productions before the oh, honky psh. that's one of the actors um they were both in hong sister productions before so there's lee sung who i loved from my girlfriend is a gomiho well, or my girlfriend is a nine tail fox he played the lead in that he's been the lead in a lot of other famous k dramas you know his career is whew, it's pretty nice he's also really nice to look at but he plays the lead in this he plays the monkey king and then you've also got uh, Lee Honky, which who's I've been been sneaking into conversations apparently. He's also in it, and he's also from a Hong Sisters production. He was in You're Beautiful, which oh, if you haven't seen it, please get the chance to watch it. I think you can probably find it anywhere. It's an older one now. I want to say it came out in like 2008, maybe 2011, earlier parts of the 2000s beautiful it's about this girl who has to pretend to be her twin brother because reasons and she gets into this rock band and he's one of the members of the rock band so he kind of sticks to that with as his character so uh in this particular interpretation uh of this odyssey story journey to the west story we've got a young girl who has this ability to see dead things wonderful right already great and they kick it off with her seeing like these Poltergeist, basically, these these dead spirits who are now causing havoc and just wreaking trouble everywhere they go because they've been either on Earth too long and didn't make the transition or they're just bad in general and just kind of stayed that way. So she's this little girl, though. She's like a whole nine, maybe ten, dealing with all of this. And um, the only thing that seems to ward them off is this umbrella she's got that's got, um, and again, I don't know exactly if these are blessings or what, but I'm pretty sure they're blessings on her umbrella. And that seems to like ward them off for a little bit, but if they're super strong then she runs into issues, uh, she bumps into a man who gets rid of this spirit that's like chasing her instantly. And we find out that his name is Ma Wong. Yeah, Ma Wong. And uh, he's played by Cha Sung Wong, who is, and he was in another Hong sister production. I don't remember the title and I didn't want to look it up, but it was super cute. He played a, an actor, exactly. He played an actor who had like heart surgery done. And during the surgery, the song kept playing over and over because the surgeon loved it so much. And uh, whenever he hears the song, it kind of makes his heart skip a beat. And then years go by and he meets one of the singers for the song. And whenever she's talking or whenever, you know, he hears her hum or sing the song, his heart starts to like pick back up. And it's a really cute story of how they get together. But he's playing uh, on another character in the show. So all of the entities this girl deals with are demons. The Monkey King is being portrayed as a demon. Ma Wong is being portrayed as a demon. There's other little side demons that she deals with as well. And this is culminating to her uh, figuring out how, what she's what she's supposed to do with all of this. Like, why are these people in her life? Why does she have this ability? And it turns out she's like a chosen one. They call her Samjang. Basically, her job is to save the world. If you know anything about A Journey to the West, there is a female character in it. And uh, she dies, tragically. She tragically dies in that story. And so in this story, if you've been watching the episodes as, they, as they've been leading up, that's kind of what they're hinting with this as well. She hears a death bell. There's uh, constant threats of death to her life, you know, th um, threats to her life, lots of death everywhere. 
around her. And apparently there's going to be like this huge chaos that's going to happen in the world. And in order to stop it, we find out she's got to ingest this evil into her so that they can kill it. And the only way they can kill it is if they kill her. Yay! <laughs> so not particularly happy about that part. What I love about Korean dramas, what I love about Asian dramas in general, especially if you're looking at romantic comedy dramas, which this kind of is, they usually end happily. It's usually like everybody gets what they want. Yay, sunset. But in a couple of, of Hong sister stuffs, it hasn't always ended that way. So I'm really hoping that that's not what's going to happen with this. Uh, the other thing to know about Korean dramas and Asian dramas in general is that they end. So you'll get anywhere from like eight to 22 episodes of a series. Unless you're watching like a Chinese series, then you're gonna get like whew, way more episodes, like 30, 40, 100. But they eventually end, they eventually they stop. So you get this whole story that they eventually wrap up. And I think, especially with uh, Yugi's case, that they're nearing the end of the road on that. One of the things about Yugi that I don't like as much, but it's it's a, a staple with a lot of Asian dramas, is that it feels like a lot of these stories are kind of just treading water until they can get to that end goal. And, I, and that could be for a thousand different reasons. A lot of these are written like currently. So it's not like they filmed this and did all this, you know, months back. They're doing it usually with, I wanna say close to the same month that it's about to air. So they'll do, They'll go into production like maybe, maybe a whole month before it starts airing. And then they kind of go, it continues as it goes. So, and then they don't really know when they're going to end until they get like the final say from the networks. And who knows when that's going to be. So it's kind of not totally their fault with how they've got to handle this or, or whether or not they'll be able to sum it up in, you know, the 10th episode versus the 16th versus the 22nd. But as a viewer, especially a viewer streaming this, you, you, I wait till there's a lot of episodes available before I start watching it. Because a lot of these uh, subscription services will, will post it as it airs kind of deal. So if it co goes up on a Tuesday in Seoul, we'll get it like that Wednesday or Thursday. So I kind of wait till there's a lot so I can binge it. And right now I want to say there's like 17 episodes. I think they're going to go to 22 if not further, but I hope it's not too much further because it feels like we're at the end, but they're dragging it out a little bit more. They threw in a whole new villain, like randomly. Like it, I didn't, there's, there's some stuff that you're just like, really? But the standouts for me is definitely the chemistry between the characters and the comedic ele elements they've got in this show. The face contortions from Cha Seng Wan's face alone, the guy who plays Ma Wong, hilarious he's just so animated and hysterical so i'll keep watching while that's still on there and of course my loves are on there too being them cute selves so it's not too bad so if you're interested in a korean drama or you haven't checked out Yugi just yet it's hugely popular so if you do watch asian dramas i highly doubt you haven't seen it but in the event in the case that you haven't and i just spoiled all this stuff for you definitely check it out and then we're gonna jump into a japanese drama right after this all right so 
Moving on to the Japanese drama I also caught this week. I'm in the middle of watching You're My Pet, aka Kimiwa Peto. Oh, my pronunciation is going to be aces. No, but um, it, this is a Japanese drama based on it, off of a manga of the same name. It looked familiar to me, which is why I checked it out. And it turns out it is the it is based on the same story that I watched uh, around a Korean drama that also used this as their inspiration for it. So a while back, I watched this Korean drama that had Jang Kyun-suk in it. He's also from You're Beautiful. He played the lead in that. And I didn't know what was happening in this drama. I just remember being really confused and not understanding what was going on because it seemed like Kong Je, no, Kong, Jang, Jang Kyun-suk's character was like a break dancer. And then this older lady kind of like sought him out. And then all of a sudden he was living with this lady. And then all of a sudden they were having like battles and she kept petting him. And then it turned out he was her pet. Like she just decided to like pretend he was a dog for some reason, but he acted like a person. And then I just remember like a waterfall. Was it even a waterfall? No, I think it was like a, some kind of random water fountain in the middle of like a city. And they were like walking around it and laughing and then tears. It was a crazy all over the place drama. I didn't know what was going on or what the heck was happening. Turns out it was based off of this Japanese manga that had a more condensed story, and, but it was exactly that. It's about this older woman, she's in her thirties, who thought she had everything. She, was, she spent her whole life trying to be like super perfect. And then everything kind of gets taken away from her. Her boyfriend breaks up with her. She loses the promotion she got from work. Uh, she kind of gets demoted and she's kind of at like this bottom spiral that she's going through. And she remembers things that used to help her out when she was a little kid, when she was having like these heavy negative feelings. And it was a dog, it was a dog called Momo. So she's like, oh, that's what I need to do. I need to go get a dog that I can, that's gonna be just like Momo so I can vent these feelings and start feeling better. So she remembers that there was like, at least for this current series, she remembers that um, somebody had been trying to give dogs away in like a little cardboard box on randomly in the side of a street. So she races back there to see if there's any dogs left. And instead she finds this kid. So there's a kid who's living on the streets, literally. He gets into it with some guy and he gets beaten pretty badly. So he, he goes into hiding. And once he successfully hides from the guy, he decides to fall asleep in this box. And it's the same box she finds. So she opens it. I knew she gets drunk. She opens it and is like, oh my gosh, I found you, Momo. And it's a, a whole kid. This kid is like, oh, I want to say maybe in his early 20s. He's got to be. There's like a good 10 year difference between the two. So he's like 20 in university. And he's seeing this crazy drunk lady trying to pet him. But then, you know, she stumbles and she falls and being the gentleman that he is, he tries to help her out. He ends up carrying her back to her apartment and like putting her to sleep. And when she wakes up, she realizes like she let this kid stay and she thought this kid was her dog this whole time. And then they strike a bargain and that he can stay in her apartment, like, continue to stay there. She will take care of him, but he has to pretend to be her pet. He basically has to function as her pet, meaning he's gonna be there for her emotional support. He's gonna be there to like pick her up when she's had like a really long bad day. And that's gonna be their bargain. That's gonna be their deal. I'm just like, okay, sure. Yes, manga logic, absolutely. We'll go ahead with this. It's, the premise sounds ridiculous, 
the show is so good. So with all of these romantic comedies that I watch, there's usually a love triangle. So you've got the main character of this woman who's going through it and making terrible decisions. You've got Momo, who's like this young kind of carefree spirit who's slowly but surely falling in love with her. And then you've got the guy that is age appropriate for her. He's like, uh, she calls him her senpai. He might be a little bit older than her, like a couple years or so, but they've known each other since like school days. And she's always kind of liked him and he's always kind of liked her and they're finally acting on it, but it's clearly not gonna last. So, and that's usually, that's also like par for the course of like, you know, she wants this ungettable get and then she gets it. And then she realizes it wasn't what she wanted in the first place. So where I'm at right now is her slowly realizing she doesn't want this guy. Like she, she's always going to appreciate him. She's always going to admire him and be grateful towards him for everything he's done for her in her life. But ultimately she loves Momo. Now I stopped watching the Korean drama. So I don't know if they actually end up together or not. They probably do. It's a romantic comedy. But so I'm in the midst of watching that and seeing what's going to go on with that. The chemistry between the characters is super cute. I really like that. Uh, even the chemistry between her and the guy she doesn't like is actually pretty good. So I like that. What I don't like are all the side villains they bring into this story. I don't know if it's part of the manga or not. I don't remember this many side villains in the Korean version, but they usually do things a lot differently than Japanese dramas so also that but yeah so we went from having like the biggest obstacle for them to overcome was you know her making the decision between the two to another girl also being interested in her senpai which is the guy that was age appropriate and somehow also becoming his pet because sure and then we also have a girl who was in love with momo which i could see that working in in the manga I haven't read it, but I could see that happening too. And it's a girl who's age appropriate for Momo, but he doesn't like, he actually dated her in the past, but he didn't really think there was anything there between the two of them. But she, she is mad and not having it. And then uh, we've also got a crazy dude who tried to date the lead lady and was like persistently trying to have sex with her. He was trying to get it. He's like, I reserved a room. We can meet there. Where are you going? Like he just, he gets mad crazy. So there's also that guy who's just like kind of floating in the wings. And then we get another girl who's pretending to be the lead character all of a sudden. She's just like, yeah, I'm gonna show up at your job and pretend to be you because reasons. I don't, and this is, this is also falling prey to the, uh, this is running a lot longer than I think you have story for situation, but I'm gonna stick it out because it's worth it for the ending. And like I said, these end. So eventually this will get wrapped up and we will get the resolutions we want. And in particular with Japanese um, romantic comedies, I tend to like them a little bit more because I feel like they add the detail of the physical interactions between these couples that you don't see a whole lot of in Korean dramas. Like with Korean dramas, especially earlier Korean dramas, whenever there was a kiss, it would be like frigid board meets ice. Like these poor girls, had never ever been kissed. So a lot of the kisses we got on screen in the earlier days of K-dramas was their very first one and it showed. Oh, it was awkward. It was terrifying. But it's since then kind of warmed up. Now we've got actors and actresses who've either they've been kissing 
or they at the very least I were like, okay, we need to practice this scene so that it looks a little more believable. Let's work on that. But I feel like with the Japanese dramas, at least the ones I've watched, which have been like a handful, it wasn't as forced. It kind of feels like a natural physicality they have between the characters, especially when they're doing all of, the, all of these romances with them. And Japanese dramas were the first dramas I showed, I watched where they actually talked about the characters having sex. Like it's a big part of the overall story, but in a lot of Korean dramas, they kind of like, they kind of fade over it. Like maybe it happened or they'll do a thing where like you see them kind of stare at each other for a long time. And then we'll get like a shot of the moon and some animals making noises. And then it's the next day. So, <laughs> so I mean, Japanese dramas aren't gonna show you everything. It's, but I feel like they're like at least gonna show you like kissing on the bed at the very least. So that happens. I don't know why that's important, but it is just, just all of those things is important. But yeah, so I'm in the middle of watching um, You're My Pet. And it's pretty good. It's de it's definitely making this Vicky subscription worth it. If you listen to my earlier podcast, I was going on and on about how I was going through my dry spell when it came to Asian dramas and uh, I decided to switch from Drama Fever to Vicky. And Vicky so far has definitely been paying for itself. I have been watching a lot more dramas. I forgot that they, they cover a lot more. Drama Fever kind of focuses on Korean dramas. They dabble a little bit in Taiwanese dramas and a little bit in Chinese dramas and like a speckling of Japanese dramas, but Vicky kind of goes even more, like you get even more options, which is cool. The catch with Vicky though, is that a lot of their translations that come up, especially if you're not a native speaker, they're done by volunteers. And I mean, these volunteers are real people who have real lives. so. It's not going, you're not going to have same day translation of an episode. You may not even have same week translation of an episode, depending on how popular that show is. So you, if you don't speak the language at all, you might have a weight on your hands until everything is fully translated. It gets there, but sometimes it can take a little bit. So, but right now I'll take the trade off. I'll take that trade off because it's given me a whole bunch of other stuff to check out and watch. And it's been great. So stay tuned and we will go over the wrap up for Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps. All right, so that about wraps it up for Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps and all of the, all of the shows I caught this week. I uh, didn't get a chance to really go over all the manga I read wasn't a whole lot of manga, so not a lot to cover. But, you know, I'm trying to get deeper into that as well. I'm, right now I'm reading One Punch Man. Um, I'm still kind of reading Tokyo Ghoul. I'm definitely caught up on My Hero Academia because right now that is the favorite. Uh, and a couple other things that are in the winds. I read Magical Girl too. I've mentioned before, but I haven't really caught up with that either. So I'm slacking, slacking, but trying. So that's, that's what's happening there. Um, and again, I just went over Legends of Tomorrow, The Magicians, The Tick, and then some Asian dramas, Why, Why Yugi, aka Korean Odyssey, and You're My Pet uh, from Japan. All interesting stories. All very interesting. So, so, so crazy. But yeah, so if you've got any shows you want to recommend or you just want to join in on the conversation, you can definitely hit me up on all of my socials. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and of course, you can hit me up at Curvy Geeky Fangirl dot com. Uh, I'm usually under Curvy Geeky Fangirl for everything. 
The exception is Twitter because there's a character limit. So just take out the A and the I in Fangirl and I'll pop right up. Or you can go to my website and just hit that link that shows you my Twitter right there. And we can talk and chat. You can leave messages actually for me on iTunes as well, which is where this podcast pops up. It also pops up on Google Play in the Android section of things, um, on Pocket Casts, if you listen through that at all, and also through through Anchor. So uh, if you have the Anchor app, you can actually contact me directly. You can leave a message. You can leave a live voice message. You might pop up on the show, huh? depending on your comment, eh? And just, just keep the conversation going. I'm interested to know what you guys catch throughout the week. Like, what do you make a priority in your geek TV and film that you want to catch every week? So let me know. I'd love to hear hear more from you guys. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So I'm hoping next week I've got different shows to talk to you about. I'm hoping we're getting Black Lightning back. I hope we get the flashback. I don't know if it's on as long of a hiatus as Supergirl is or not, but... Now it's going to be a minute or two. Oh, also, I'm going to be at Universal Fan Con in April, guys. So Universal Fan Con for all nerds. It's, it's all about diversity. They um, are a con for us geeks out here, uh, either if uh, focusing on diversity. So if you're a geek of color, if you're an LGBTQIA plus geek, uh, if you're a disabled or uh, what is handicapable? Yes. Oh, I apologize. If you're a handicapable person or a disabled geek as well, this is just a focus on us that kind of feel like we're on the outliers of geekdom. There's a lot of geekdom that's kind of focused on one particular mainstream, and some of us fall on the outside of that. So I'm definitely going to be over there at Universal Fan Con, rapping for myself as Kirby Geeky Fangirl, but also for fan bros and also just for all geeky things because it's going to be amazing. It's up in Baltimore. It's April 27th through the 29th. If you can get tickets, they're still on sale right now. Do so. Do so. Uh, if you're in the Baltimore area, I hope you show up. It's going to be a blast. And as always, I have, I'll have another Kirby Geeky Fangirl recap for you guys next week. Trying to get these on a regular basis out here on a Monday. Yeah, gives me time to catch all this stuff, collect my thoughts, and then just verbally just release all of this in one go. But yeah, so I'm looking forward to next week. I'm hoping new shows pop up or at least something else. And I'm always looking forward to hearing from you guys as well. And I will see you next week. Bye.